This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Plato. A bit later in the hour, stand-up comics talking science, but first some serious business. This week, the FDA finalized a rule that would allow more retail pharmacies, and we're talking big chains like Walgreens and CVS, to stock and fill prescriptions for the abortion drug Mifepristone. The medication has been available only via certain specialty pharmacies or mail order. Joining me to talk about this and other science stories of the week is Catherine Wu, staff writer for The Atlantic, based in New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome back to Science Friday. Hello. Good to be here as always. Thank you. Please explain the new rules for us about abortion pills. Right. So earlier this week, uh, the FDA gave the green light to big chain pharmacies like CBS and Walgreens, as you mentioned, to dispense these very important abortion pills. Uh, the move is expected to really expand access to these pills with the catch that some states' restrictions around abortion pills may somewhat limit it. But for uh, people who are pregnant and don't want to be in about half of states, uh, at least this should make a massive difference. And how much of a role do these pills play in the medical landscape? So before Roe versus Wade was overturned, we were already seeing that about half of abortions were performed with medication with these pills, mifepristone and misoprostol. And that percentage has been widely expected to increase now that, you know, surgical abortions are far less available. So to be clear, this is not the morning after pill like Plan B, correct? That's right. So these are two pills that people can take through about the 10th or 12th week of pregnancy. So still early on, really the first trimester. And the idea is to end uh, an early stage pregnancy. Uh, the morning after pill is to prevent that pregnancy from even really taking hold in the first place. Mm -hmm. And as you said before, these these pills are accessible in about half the states. So the tricky part here is, for instance, if CBS and Walgreens move forward with certification to be able to dispense these pills, which both have said that they're planning to do, that sort of should give blanket approval to, you know, any CBS or Walgreens to dispense these pills, fill these prescriptions. Uh, just a note here that prescriptions are still required, so that has not been removed. These are not available over the counter. But the tricky thing is, you know, things may look very different in, say, Massachusetts versus Texas. Uh, we know that at this point, about half of states have at least some restrictions around abortion pills. For instance, some basically make it impossible to use the pills via telemedicine because you basically have to take them in the physical presence of a clinician. And some states like Texas have actually outright banned use of the pills past the seventh week of pregnancy. So it's a little tricky. Uh, basically, the TLDR here is mileage may somewhat vary depending on what state you're in. You say that restrictions are going to be different in different states. Are we going to be see people leaving their own state and traveling to other states to get the pill? It will be interesting to see if people start crossing state lines to access these pills. I mean, I believe that has already been happening to some degree because there have been restrictions around the pills uh, even before this ruling. Um, but And we also know that is happening with surgical abortions. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is some travel to access this. But certainly not everyone has the resources to drive 8, 10, 20 hours to access abortion pills, which, you know, the big plus there is convenience. Yeah. Let's move on to some other medical news. Of course, we're still in the midst of the COVID pandemic, and now there's a new variant, right? Tell us about that variant. 
Right, so this newcomer is XBB 1.5, and it's actually been around for a few months. I think it was first detected around these parts, actually, in October. But after brewing sort of quietly in this big variant soup that we've been dealing with for quite some time, it really started to take off in December. In the last week of 2022, it went from 20% of estimated infections in the U.S. to 40%. And I think once the new numbers come out any minute from the CDC, we're going to see it taking over quite a bit more. It's already the vast majority of infections in the Northeast. Hmm. Do we know if this is really something new to worry about? Is it making people any sicker? So, so far, there's no evidence to suggest that this is more inherently severe or likely to cause severe disease than previous variants, though I will caveat that by saying that it takes a, a while to sort of figure that out. We also know that, you know, some people's antibodies may be waning if they haven't gotten a recent bivalent shot and people were mingling a lot over the holidays. So kind of a... TBD on that front, but it is spreading remarkably fast. Uh, the WHO has already said that this is probably one of the most transmissible Omicron subvariants we've seen yet. Wow. Do we know why? This is taking over so easily. Yeah, so uh, kind of familiar stories that we've heard a few times now. It seems like two factors are driving this. One is that it is very good at evading antibodies that vaccines and previous variants have laid down in people. And also, it seems really, really good at latching on to the surfaces of our airway cells. And so that might make it easier for this variant to spread really quickly between people. So once again, be vigilant, get boosted, mask where appropriate. Right. I think the tricky thing is this is coinciding with uh, the sort of post-holiday surge. We were already expecting a winter wave because of behavior and uh, not enough people getting that bivalent shot. And this could make the impending surge worse. Hmm. Okay, let's move on to some other news, especially if you were watching Monday Night Football, you may have seen that really scary incident involving a 24-year-old uh, DeMar Hamlin who collapsed and went into cardiac arrest on the field. Today, he seems to be doing a bit better, right? Yeah, that's wonderful news. Uh, as far as I know, he is still in the ICU, but he has massively improved since Monday. I think it's going to be quite some time before he's back up on his feet, but we are hearing hopeful news from the Buffalo Bills and definitely wishing him a speedy recovery. But we still don't know medically what happened. It's a bit of a mystery, right? Right. I mean, this was an incredibly healthy young athlete who collapsed on the field. The most plausible explanations that experts have been putting forward this week, basically they're thinking there may have been some sort of pre-existing condition that made his heart a little bit weaker. And of course, we do need to remember there was a pretty big impact right before he collapsed. He had just tackled right. another player. And it's possible that a very rare incident uh, in which the impact hit his chest at just the right moment in the cycle of his heart pumping might have sort of sent his heart rhythm into flux and triggered a heart attack. It's sort of unclear. It could be a mix of factors coming together. But I think it's important to note here that a lot of misinformation has started to swirl around this because ambiguity just lets that stuff slide in. There is no evidence so far to suggest that vaccines have anything to do with it, but that hasn't stopped people from suggesting it. Hmm. Yeah, they'll, they'll always be there. Let's turn to something else. Let's turn to some Space news. For the past four years, we've been hearing about Mars quakes, uh, like seismic activity on Mars. And that comes from data taken by a lander called InSight. 
But InSight may be coming to an end. Is, isn't that correct? Yeah, I think NASA has unfortunately called time of death on InSight, this plucky lander that was sending us news for more than four years. Uh, in mid-December, it sent its last communication to us here on Earth, and then NASA tried to contact it twice, didn't hear back two consecutive times, and basically near the end of the month, they said, we think this is over. They declared the mission done, and uh, that is it for mm. InSight. So we are in mild mourning. <laughs> So that's sorry to hear that. It, it's a story of dusty solar panels once again. That seems to be a big part of the issue, which is a little ironic because, you know, InSight got so dusty doing its hard work on Mars that it kicked up some dust onto its solar panels and just, you know, battery life is also a thing. So at this point, it seems like it does not have enough power to keep on collecting data. And what have we learned from this mission? So much. I mean, you know, before this, we really did not have good insight, well, haha, <laughs> into why Mars quakes were happening. And as you were saying, you know, this is shaking and rumbling on uh, the red planet, the rough equivalent of earthquakes here on Earth. The difference is, you know, this is not like plates shifting up uh, and below each other as they are here on Earth. Rather, it seems to be the outer crust of Mars uh, shrinking and cooling and um, you know, sort of picture like a an egg sort of drying out from the inside and maybe losing heat and creating some cracks. But really understanding how that process works might tell us how heat is seeping out of the planet's interior and maybe even turn the clock back, give us a sense of what Mars looked like billions of years ago. So much to learn about that planet. It's really, it's really cool. Let's move on to an unusual wintertime visitor in Southern California, I'm talking about the snowy owl. Please fill us in. Yes, finally, some cheery news. Uh, <laughs> there was a snowy owl spotted in Southern California right after Christmas, and locals absolutely flipped their lids. They were so excited because it is absolutely bizarre to see a snowy owl this far south. I mean, it is kind of cool in Southern California right now, but it's certainly nothing like the Arctic, where they spend most of their time and have a lot of snow to camouflage them. But yeah, it's bonkers. One local I saw a quote that said it was like seeing Santa Claus on a beach, which I loved. So the owl's totally out of its natural habitat is what you're saying. It is. Normally they don't fly any further south than like the Canadian-U.S. border. And this is way further south than that. This is kind of bonkers. Wow. Let's move on possibly to our last story here. There's new research into this is this is crazy. An, an unusual connection between rats and reefs showing the interconnectivity of nature. Right. So I think researchers have known for a while now that invasive rats taking over islands, you know, even intuitively, we can get a sense that is not a good thing. But they're really just starting to understand the full ripple effects of uh, this kind of disruption. And they're starting to see that invasive rats can actually affect the behavior of tropical fish that hang out around coral reefs. So let's follow the sort of chain of events here. Rats, please, please. <laughs> rats will eat the eggs and chicks of local seabirds, which means seabirds can't fly over the shore and deposit their feces into the soil to fertilize it, which means corals don't get enough nutrients to grow healthy and allow algal growth that feeds these damselfish. So these local damselfish are no longer protecting their territories as aggressively because they're thinking, oh, these corals suck. I don't want to guard this real estate anymore. And it's all the rat's fault. 
So they, this is the ripple effect of invasive species. Yeah. Rats are ruining everything is the tagline here. <laughs> and, and there you have it. Thank you very much for taking time to be with us, Catherine. Always glad to do it. Catherine Wu, staff writer for The Atlantic, based in New Haven, Connecticut.